everyone, and welcome back to the LB Performance Podcast with me, your host, Lawrence Bourne. I want to start off episode two by firstly saying thank you to all the listeners for all your positive feedback and lovely comments over the last week since episode one. The first episode with Emmett was very well received by all the listeners and was a very interesting episode talking to Emmett about his experiences in boxing and his journey now to the Olympics. So thank you to Emmett for hopping on. On this week's episode, I'll be speaking to a colleague of mine, Quiva Morris. Quiva is currently the Women's Coordinator at Rugby Academy Ireland. Her main role at the moment involves participation, pathways and talent development, but she also has a range of experience working with several other organisations in the sports science industry. She has a background in strength and conditioning, with previous experiences in with multiple rugby and GAA teams, but most notably with Leinster Rugby. Quiva also has a degree in sports coaching and a master's degree in sports performance. In today's conversation, we're going to be discussing her experience in strength and conditioning since finishing up college. And we also delve into the topic of female participation in sport and how organisations can keep pushing women's sport into the spotlight. And lastly, then we finish up with the listeners' questions. So without further ado, here's Quiva. If you'd like to get in touch, as always, my wonderful offspring at the very end of the episode will provide you with my contact details. And I will chat to you at the end of the episode. Enjoy! Quiva, welcome to the LB Performance Podcast. How are you keeping? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks very much for having me on. With everything to do with COVID at the moment, how has that affected you with work with kind of with strength and conditioning? Like, do you have clients? Do you work with teams? Like, what's your setup really? Yeah, no, I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of changed everything. It turned everything on its head. So, um, I think initially with lockdown one, um, it it wasn't too bad. I think in typical sort of strength conditioning or or sports science uh, fashion, we kind of launched into that sort of CPD stuff. And I don't know if you tuned into all of them, but there was like almost, I'd say three months of webinars going on um, Mm. in the first lockdown. So to be honest, yes, all the, all the work and stuff dropped off, but there was still a lot of things to to fill your time with which was really good and and i mean shout out to anyone who put on a, a webinar they were all extremely interesting there were so many of them to learn from my main work again is either strength condition coaching it could be sports science uh work or then rugby coaching as well as what i I'm, I'm in so the rugby coaching has been few and far between unfortunately since you know last march you know summer camps that i was meant to be involved in uh schools rugby club rugby and everything just unfortunately couldn't happen but yeah no look kept kept ticking away a little bit i'm i'm lucky enough where if if i kind of leave something or drop something I kind of pick something up fairly quickly that I'd, I'd be quite good with as a like a, a jack of all trades kind of person so mm. although the the actual on pitch coaching stuff sort of uh dropped off I got a lot, a lot of online work then so um working with daily sports science creating social media um graphics and ads and and running their social media stuff which I have no background in but just sort of hopped into it and, and gave it a go do a bit of work with basketball Ireland so to be honest I had a good maybe four or five months of just working away at the basketball iron and stuff which is you know extremely interesting we're looking to create sort of standards create standardized testing um so that we have an idea of what metrics that we want to hit for each age grade track them all the way up through the the underage representative sides up to to senior and and it's just it doesn't exist at the moment with with bi and and hopefully we're going to create that as well and then just little bits and bobs people getting in touch that want to do home workouts or, you know, creating home workouts for the, the school team that I coach and uh, taking away, away at it. I think now 
everyone's the same that we're, we're getting a little bit bored mm-hmm. <laughs> just dying for the the coaching to come back but yeah look it's it's been tough and it's it's tough being stuck at home and especially for a, a community that's so active and and so social it, it is definitely a, a big change to make going from you know seeing 30 40 people a day to seeing maybe two people a day it's it's a big shift but hopefully we get out of it soon enough how do you how do you find the comparison between coaching face to face as opposed to online? Like, is that something that you've had to adapt to, or is that something that you've had previous experience in before COVID? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't much experience in it, to be honest. I wouldn't say it's it's my uh, forte for sure. I it's the, it's the exact same process of creating programs and chatting away to people about what they want to do, what kind of restrictions they might have, um, what equipment do they have at home, all the kind of normal giving them a program and then I guess yeah it's it's a bit more awkward of you know trying to I don't know set up a zoom call while they're they're doing their workout and and trying to coach you know over over the internet when they maybe have music blaring in the background they can't really hear your cues can't really hear you talk I think everyone you know it was a bit of a a trial and error kind of thing for everybody but I think it's it's kind of gone smoothly enough now I think people have kind of learn the main ropes of it. it I did it at the the very start of lockdown I haven't been doing it too much I've actually been been more of a participant in a few zoom workouts for uh club teams and things just to to show face and show support and that kind of thing so it's a skill in itself I think and anyone who's been been doing it this whole time I've hats off to them because it's a, a very difficult thing to do and I know the likes of like PE teachers and stuff as well trying to run circuit classes on on zoom that that must be absolutely insane but um I think it's a a very good skill to have. It's one I don't really have. I don't think. <laughs> Eventually, I'd love the idea of setting up an online business as well. But I, having tried it before in the past, only a couple of times now, I can't say I have much experience in it. The one tough thing I found in it was, and I'm not having it go on anyone particularly when I say this, and it's no reflection on them, but beginners, I find that it's very difficult to try and coach them if you're trying to coach them how to do a good squat or a good deadlift if they have the equipment at home, hypothetically. Because realistically, when you're there in person, you kind of maneuver them and shift them in a way that's very much, that sounds terrible. That that sounds <laughs> appropriate for yeah. them to actually do the lift, but you know where I'm coming from. But like when you're, yeah, when you're doing it from an online point of view, it's... There, you have to be really, really clever with your coaching cues in order to actually get them to do the lift properly, if you will. And not even just a, a compound lift, anything. It could be a dumbbell chest press. It could be even a push-up. They may not get you at the first time. There might be a bit of frustration coming their way. It's like, oh, I can't get this. I'm not good at this. The confidence is kind of slowly lowering and decreasing it. But again, like that, as you said, it's one of those things that you would definitely have to have a knack for, but something mm. that it, it definitely a skill set that you can definitely uh, build upon uh, over time. Um, you were mentioning about Basketball Ireland, actually. I'm really interested in that. So you were saying that you're setting up tests for the different age groups going up. Do you have anything in place provisionally that you're looking, that you have like testing wise or what's the, uh, where, where's that now at the moment? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a sports scientist with Basketball Ireland. Um, they actually do already have um testing procedures and they do have testing data from the last two or three years so my job at the moment basically is to gather all that data and present it you know in a way that coaches can understand strength condition coaches can understand what they're essentially looking to build i guess is standards for each age grade so there's a a really good team there it's it's led up by peter madsen and and kevin foley and basketball ireland who are kind of co-heads of of athletic performance there so they have produced this very detailed document on on what testing that they want to get done. So, you know, your typical like yo-yo test, med ultra, sprint test, CMJs, all that kind of thing. But the the issue had been that each squad, so 
I think there's data from under 16 up to senior at the moment. Each squad was collecting the data twice a year, but nothing was being done with the data. So that's where I came came in. So I think they got in touch maybe a year and a half ago, maybe, just um, saying that they, they needed someone to sort of collate all of this information that they had so that they can actually use it for something. And I think at the time, I typical with short condition coaches, I had four or five other jobs going on at the time. So I only had a couple hours a week to sort of actually sit down and do it. So it, it took me a little bit longer than I had it wanted. But, you know, they weren't in any major rush to, to have a look at it. But, you know, COVID was good that I, I had three or four months where I had I was pretty much free. So I was able to actually sit down and get a good bone. So yeah, it was basically taking, say, eight or nine sets of data over four or five age grades over two years, just taking all of them, putting them into one complete document and presenting them by age grade, by gender, tracking them, tracking each individual player as they went up, showing if they've improved or decreased or, or anything like that. So it's uh, definitely sports science was not my background. Although I have a sports science degree, it was more strength and conditioning. It was kind of the coaching, the the physical attributes kind of stuff, not necessarily sports science stuff like you. It's it been very like, interesting, um, very good learning curve it, for me. It sounds like you have a, a, you're kind of your finger in a lot of pies, if you will, uh, when it comes to trying to get experience yeah. with strength and conditioning. And like the whole, like it's not just people, people should really have this uh, conception that strength and conditioning isn't just a one topic. It covers so many different uh, variables uh, involved with performances and what where do you see yourself kind of going now that you have all the, like this experience with so many different teams and organizations yeah it's it's interesting I think there's a conversation going on at the moment that you know sports science and, and certain condition in the professional world they're almost the same job not necessarily that they would try to fill both positions with one person but that the strength conditioning coach if you're hired as the SNC coach it's a lot more valuable if you have experience as a sports scientist or you're able to understand the data that's coming from the sports scientist. So it's more, it's becoming a much more interdisciplinary role, I would say. As to where I see myself going, honestly, <laughs> I'm also working a lot in sort of women's sport participation or development. That seems to be the thing that I really, really enjoy at the moment, possibly because there's a little bit more focus on it at the moment. There's a bit more work in it at the moment. I'm not sure compared to sort of, you know, strength condition, sports science side, but it's something that I find very, very interesting and I've a, a big passion for. So I think when I came out of college, like the only thing I wanted to do was work with a high performance senior team sport in a strength and conditioning role. I sort of got into coaching sort of school age kids just because there was work going and that was about it. But it's the thing that I enjoy the most now. You know, I've worked with from six-year-old kids up to senior men's rugby teams. And of all of those, I enjoy coaching sort of teenagers the most and especially coaching girls. I absolutely love it. So I actually, to be honest, think I might head down that route. Early days, yes, obviously, but I think as well with the the trend that's going on at the moment, the focus on women's sport, I think more jobs are going to crop up in it, more interest and more funding is going to crop up in it. And it's something that I, I have a huge passion for. So I actually, to be honest, see myself going, going down that route at the moment. Brilliant. Like female participation in sport is, is, is really, it's, it's come to the fore an awful lot in the last few years. And it's something that I feel up until the last few years didn't get the credit it deserved. And to give you a little bit of opinion on my side, not that you're asking for it, but uh, <laughs> with female sport in particular, and I'm not, be, I'm not a believer in this myself, but I know that a lot of people had the opinion that it just, like say football specifically, female football, female soccer seemed to be like a worse version of men's football. This is the thing that a lot of people have a misconception about is that it's not 
a worse version of football. It's an it's it's an entirely different entity. It's the same sport, but females play the sport differently purely based on different physical and mental traits that they have in comparison to men as well. You look at the success the women's sport has had. The the women the, the women's uh, hockey team got second in the World Cup there in the Hockey World Cup in 2018. Uh, the rugby, the Irish rugby team did extremely well. It was a 2013 and 2015. They won the Six Nations twice, but the mm-hmm. Grand Slam, they won it in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. 13, yeah. And the Triple Crown was in 2015. You have the individual Irish athletes like Kira McGeehan, who was a, a 1,500-meter and 800-meter runner for Ireland. She got, was a bronze last year in the indoor indoor championships and then silver in the outdoors in 2018 as well. But And then, of course, you can't really go anywhere without mentioning kind of Kelly Harrington, Katie Taylor. To go on to my question, basically, do you find that there is a huge, that the, the dropout rate in female sport has, has uh, decreased over the years, over the last few years, or has it increased again? I think it's it's definitely improving mm. from an Irish point of view. And I think 20 by 20 has an awful lot to do with that. This is the organization I, now who are in charge of pro- providing awareness for women's participation in sport. Yeah, yeah. 20 by 20. Yeah, I think I, I don't want to use the word like force, but they almost just sort of forced women's sport into the spotlight and into the forefront of of people's minds and and kind of spoke up about or or made the point about this is also on as well as the men's why aren't we saying that it's on at the same time or why do we have to say f- female footballer why can't we just say footballer kind of thing so yeah those sort of general things that they they kind of improved on but i think the major thing that i have seen over the past three years maybe i guess when i was coaching young girls in rugby they used to sort of either be afraid to tell their friends that they played rugby or um, maybe you wouldn't go full whack at it at training because they did not want to seem masculine. And mm. we know from, you know, Jesus, I don't know how many studies, but multiple, multiple studies saying that a primary reason why girls will drop out of sport is because of the societal pressure to appear feminine. And unfortunately, rugby is seen as a a masculine sport. When girls are described as like, you know, strong or tough or any of those kind of things, coach or parent might think that they're paying them a compliment. But for a girl at 15 or 16, that could actually be a really negative thing because Mm -hmm. they don't, you know, that's not feminine. That's not girly. That's not pretty. That's not, you know, three or three or four years ago, you'd be having girls who really, they they wouldn't tell their friends they play rugby. And that's the big thing that shifted for me now. A lot more girls who I see coming to play rugby, they're not afraid to sort of be tough, be rough in training. And my favorite story out of anyone I've ever coached is I had this young girl who was an exceptional player. She's a very, very like tough, hardy kind of player, but you'd never tell, like mm. just by looking at her. And she came up to me one time in training. She was really, really proud. And um, she's just said, one of the male friends of mine after school just asked me, do I play any sport? And she said, yeah, I play rugby. And he was like, oh, show me or prove it. And I literally put my hands in my head and I went, oh no, what did you do to him? Because she's, uh, she was such a good tackler. Like she would fold somebody in half, someone who's like (laughs) twice her height. Um, And just the minute she said that, I just went, no, like you don't tell me this man is in hospital or like he broke his nose or something. Um, She just went, no, I proved it to him. And like, yeah, she absolutely folded him in half. And like he got up, he was fine, but like, you know, she just, so I think that's, that's a huge shift. It's in the perception of what is, you know, what is a girl's sport almost. And I think a big thing to do with that is the visibility of role models now. And again, 
I know rugby or athletics best, so that's what I'll, I'll speak to. But sure, there's so many more role models available to young girls now in sport. And I guess, you know, at the moment, it's limited to the girls who are actually involved in sport, which is, you know, if you if you talk to a group of girls who aren't involved in sport, but you say names like, you know, Ronaldo or Messi or, or someone like that, they'll know that they're sports people. They might not know who they are or what sport they do or what country they're from around mm-hmm. that, but they'll know that they're involved in sport. I, I went to speak to a few girls in a school about four, no, Geez, must have been yeah. It was in it was in the start of December, I think. I I remember saying to them, "Do you know who Katie Taylor is?" And no, they didn't. So it's you know it's not quite reaching outside of of those who are in sports just yet, but it's definitely going that way. But that's that's a big improvement I've seen, and I think look, it's great to see more investment in sport. There's definitely more like sponsors coming on board. There's more conversation around sport. But I always think like those are kind of like the the more removed aspects of the impact of this kind of work can do to actually measure the impact of a campaign like 20 by 20. You got to look at it at a grassroots level and look at the part, you know, what, what are the girls involved saying? And the fact that the, the perception has changed with the girls that we're actually trying to reach out to with the 20 by 20 campaign has changed. Like that, that proves it's a success then for me. Brilliant. Yeah. See, that's the, for, for me, I have a, I have a really a huge interest in this area because as you know, like I have a five-year-old daughter. So hmm. for me as a father, never mind anything to do with me being involved in sports science or strength and conditioning or understanding all this particip- all the participation numbers and variables, et cetera. For me as a father only, the idea that Aria can go out in the future and be judged for playing sport in a negative way or for her to take it negatively because society says you have to conform to this image based on social media, maybe role models that might be throwing out their physical appearances on social media or, you know, what kind of person you should be, et cetera, et cetera. There's all this, there's, there's all these role models that teenagers and the young people can pick from these days. But sport, I feel like even knowing like a few teenagers in my life between my in-laws and then their friends and whatever else, there seems to be very little talk about the athletes involved in the sp- in sports as opposed to watching YouTubers or, you know, going out and mm. looking at keeping up with their Kard- 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 Kardashians and stuff like that. So it's, yeah, I-, I love the way that awareness is becoming heightened in this uh, topic of sport, but the reality is that awareness is one step of many. Is there any other steps that you would probably recommend to actually get females participating more? Would there be anything that you'd probably recommend that needs to be done as well to get girls involved in sport from a grassroots level? I think a big thing for rugby in this country is there needs to be development pathways. It just doesn't exist at the moment in comparison to say the boys. So I coach, um, girls school rugby and I also coach boys school rugby so with the girls school rugby it's then there is very good work going on in the provinces and on it you know an IRFU level um that wasn't there before and it's it's great to see but it's you know it's like sevens rugby there's not a lot of 15s games going on it's mostly non-contact or tag compared to the boys senior cup team that I coach who obviously are full contact um like the big difference for me is really with, with girls rugby, you can be involved in your local club under 12, under 14, under 16. It's only when you get to under 18 that there's a possibility of getting involved with a provincial side. Um, right. And at that 
from the basics of my knowledge. Now I don't know it too in depth, but at that, you know, you, you meet up maybe once a week for a training session kind of thing. And you have say four games at the end of the season. And then you go on, once you graduate from under 18, you're straight into senior rugby. If you're an exceptionally talented person, you might be on the interprovincial team straight away. If you're not, you just play your club and your college rugby, maybe around sort of 22, 23 you might get on to the interprovincial sides again you know I don't know too in depth but from what I guess it's not too structured again you've got your your three games at the end of the season strength conditions support physio support and all that kind of thing of course but not to the level that say the the men's Leinster side might get and then again the next step up would be the the national team where there is a good structure and they have you know a lot of support staff there compared to the boys so say like boys might pick it up when they're in mini, so under eights, under sixes, they'll play under tens, under twelves, under fourteens. When they get into under sixteens, there are actual structured um academy systems for them. Mm. And not just from there's not just a Leinster, a Connacht, a Munster, and an Ulster one. There's like a Leinster Midlands, Leinster Northeast, Leinster Southeast. There's four or five different pockets that you could possibly be a part of. And they're they're structured. So they have training maybe I, again I'm not not hundred percent but from the, the kids that I've coached they're training twice a week, uh, strength and conditioning support. And then, of course, they have games at the end of the season. If if you're involved in the provincial sides or not, there's also the typical rugby school. So if you went to, say, the big six in Leinster, you could have three training sessions a week. You've got a full support, full coaching staff, strength and conditioning facilities, uh, physiotherapists, all, all the works kind of thing. Um, along with your Leinster training. You can do that again at under 18s. Then there's an under 20 setup, which at club and at international. So you've got that bridge between under 18 and senior, which the girls don't have. So you can kind of, you know, there's a bit of a buffer there that you can learn or or perfect your skills at that age before taking a big leap into, you know, tackling 40-year-olds that you might be coming across in, in senior rugby. So mm. they have that buffer. You can get international experience as well at under 20s level. Then you get you can step up to senior. So and again, you can either be, you know, just club. There's good levels at junior rugby, good levels at club rugby, good levels of obviously at AIL. Then there's interprovincial. Then there's obviously international. It's a very, very different pathway. And that for me is the major thing that, that needs to shift um, in girls rugby because as, as you spoke to, you know, that people are sort of comparing men's rugby with women's rugby and saying there's this massive difference and obviously look we don't play the, the game very similar but like look at the the path that one male international versus one female international has had that male international probably picked up rugby when they're eight and they had support the whole way through strength and conditioning support you know analysis support physiotherapy support and obviously coaching support versus the female international who typically it's changing now, but only picked up rugby when they were maybe 19. Had a bit of club experience, no strength and condition support, no physiotherapy support. Got some interprovincial um, experience, start to get to the support and then straight up into international support. You were mentioning as well the under-20s. You are involved now with the under-20 setup for the national Irish team. Is that true? So we're not IRFU affiliated. It's <laughs> it's uh, it's with Rugby Academy Ireland, who's like a private entity. We're a private academy mm. in Kildare. Like we set up our own first um, women's under 20s team. Again, like we saw this major gap. We, we talk about dropout rates in, in girls sport and there's a lot of data to show 
at ages 11 and at age of six, at age of 16 that we have huge huge dropout rates across pretty much every sport um, in girls. But in rugby in particular, there's this massive issue around 18 or 19 because we're expecting girls to go from an under 18 club player where, to be honest, like the skills are kind of mid-level. Um, you're playing against girls who are very similar skill level to you. You may have only just taken it up. The other girls may have only just taken it up. You know, you, you don't know too much about the rules or the way the game works or that kind of thing. You're expected to go from that level to like senior club level with you could be expected to to tackle like someone who's playing it for 10, 15 years or you're playing alongside people who know the game inside out. And I like that's hugely daunting thing like we have you know like in the club that I used to play with and I used to coach the underage girls um, and we'd have a few under 18 girls who I would expect to have seen at senior training um, when the season came back who never showed up and I rang them and you know they came up for one session but you know their first training session could be being tackled by Lindsay Pete, which is like oh wow yeah my I know god Lindsay, I you know, know Lindsay, so I wouldn't want to be tackled by Lindsay either <laughs> to be honest with you that, yeah. yeah so like it's it's you know we're we're expecting girls of you know 18 19 years of age to have the I don't know not the maturity but that to be able to say right I know this isn't going so well now but I'm going to stick it out because I'll get better at it that's not the case for men's because they have an under 20s club set up where you're very much aware that this is like not the buffer year but they're they're looking to hone in and perfect their skills so that they're ready for senior rugby and we don't have that in in women's rugby and yeah, look, from a, a Rugby Academy Ireland point of view, obviously it's something that I've noticed and it's something that the the coaches that we have, Fiona Hayes, Ali Miller and, and Jenny Murphy have have noticed as well. And, you know, it's it's something that we had the resources to to do. You know, we we had a way to make an under 20 team. So we did basically. So look, COVID has thrown a complete spatter in the works, but yeah, we were able to safely have um the first like non-contact trial just before Christmas where you know it was position specific skills um looking at your passing your evasion all you know kick catch all that kind of thing you know the aim was to have the contact trials at the end of the month obviously that's not going to happen now but we'll hope to have them and then you know with us what the girls will have will they'll get strength conditioning support strength conditioning testing and then uh, hopefully again it's it's all open in the air a little bit now with COVID, but hopefully we'll we'll go across to England or 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 somewhere similar and and play um, a, a club team over there a twenty side that they can make up and I've I've had some good conversations with a few clubs who are quite keen to have us over so you know if COVID allows it that should happen you know our aim really is that these girls might be at their senior club training at the moment and feel like they're they're drowning they just they don't have the same skill level they're lost all the time when they go to train and then you know they, they might feel like that at their club training but that they can come down to us then with the under 20s training there's people there who are the same skill set as them who are the same age who are also feeling like that when they go to their senior training we've got obviously hugely experienced player coaches um involved who can can give them tips and tricks and really help them in that development and then they'll get international rugby experience as well hopefully by by going abroad so it's really just it's a brilliant setup it's, it's like really if, a, if, a development plan yeah if everything goes well now after covid i mean it sounds so promising and i genuinely wish you the best of luck with that um i mean it's oh thanks it's people like yourself that are very important in this whole process when it comes to making um females participate more in sport from both the grassroots level and then that pathway in between say the under 20s the senior squad specifically if you will and 
it's the one thing, as you said, that has been lacking that needs, it needs a lot of people like yourself to just do that together consistently and hopefully allow it then just to kind of roll into its own machine after a number of years. I mean, it's, it's terrible to say, but you can just, it's, it's evident out there. Sport is a business now. The men's side of it just seems to be steamrolling everything as far as media is concerned, money is concerned, uh, publicity is concerned. So it's really refreshing to know that female sport, both in Ireland and abroad, is getting the awareness that it deserves. But when you were mentioning actually about the under-20 squad, do you take any example from... Now, I don't know this myself. You Hopefully you might. Do you take any example from any foreign uh, non-governing bodies that have that pathway set up for international uh, teams? Hopefully someone won't fact check me, but I think <laughs> England, New Zealand, France and um, possibly Australia, I think there's one more, but there's only a handful of, of countries that actually have a women's under 20s national team set up. This is, this is almost what makes the point of the importance of creating one here, because now, unfortunately, England and France in the, the Six Nations are steamrolling through teams. They're mm. putting you know, double figure difference, score differences on teams at the moment because they have this under 20 setup. And look, it's not obviously not solely to do with that. And there's there's different things that are going on. But honestly, a lot of it has to do with this, this under 20 setup because they're taking girls in at 17 years old, giving them this two years of, I guess, just international experience, just giving them that two years of being allowed to make mistakes and seeing how other countries play and, and getting that experience of traveling and playing and all that kind of thing before having to step up into a senior squad. And you now, instead of having, you know, girls at 20, 21 who are getting their first taste of international rugby at the senior international level, you've got girls at the same age who have five years of international experience behind them. We're unfortunately in a place where, you know, the, the rest of the, the countries in the Six Nations set up including ourselves we really have to establish one ourselves an under 20 setup in one or two years at most i think jenny murphy spoke to this before that we're just going to be left in the dust if we leave it any longer to set one up you need a good two or three years then to actually see the i guess the benefits of that mm. setup um you need that first batch of under 20s girls to graduate into the senior squad before you start to see differences so really if we don't set it up this year or next year we'll have a pile of catching up to do that's going to be you know not going to be impossible but it's going to be a hell of a ladder to climb I'm really I'm really hoping to see a change soon really when you're coaching the under 20s as well as any other coach the team that you do coach and I'm going to I'm going to hint a little bit of your at your uh, experience with Enster Rugby with this for any of the listeners who might be curious about this is there any differences that you that, that lie or that exist in doing strength conditioning with the men's team and doing strength conditioning with a women's team yeah no look there are um I wouldn't necessarily lend to, you know, just anatomically they're different or anything like that. Um, look, I guess I, I wouldn't have a massive amount of knowledge in that. It's more the, the movement skills or the exposure to particular movement skills. So say, for example, you know, when I was coaching with the, a senior men's team, you know, running a warm up with squats, lunges, RDLs, whatever it might be, um, they knew how to do them. So they've mm -hmm. done them before. They've been doing them for years. Maybe some of them, you know, were in those sort of provincial academies growing up. Um, they went to a rugby school, all that kind of thing. So you tell them to go do an ordeal, they do it perfectly. Compared to, say, the, a senior women's team that I, I'm coaching, you, you, you have to teach them from scratch. So if we're looking at, say, a lunge, now obviously people know what a lunge looks like, but have they had 
that experience, that background, that that education about, well, what do I actually do in a lunch? What am I trying to elicit? What am I actually looking to do? Like, where should my weight be? Where should my knee go? Where should my head be? What trunk position should I be in and why? I think it's the basics of how you move your body and do you know why you're moving your body in that way? That's that's a big thing. It's a it's an awful lot of education. Um, I think for me, when I'm coaching sort of females at any level, exposing them to as many of those different sort of movement patterns or directions, what have you, as as you can. Um, I think like the likes of sort of deceleration and stuff is a massive skill that you you always try to focus on. Yeah. Um, look, we know that. Unfortunately, the, the likes of ACL injuries and stuff, which is a ligament in your knee, if, if, if listeners don't know, but um, the likes of those injuries are obviously a, as a result from a few different things, but it's typically, you know, how does that player load up for the deceleration? So for slowing down and what, posi- what position are they in when they do that? And just just for the listeners, Cleaver, just to give people a little bit of scope into this as well, just before you continue, yeah. um, for anyone that's questioning like what the what the point of deceleration training is for it's to basically prep the body and how to uh, decelerate at a controlled rate um, without causing any non-contact ACL injuries which is what a high percentage of the ACL injuries in women and indeed men are in this day and age of sport so anyway go ahead Quiva. yeah no that's that's exactly it so like ideally the position that we're looking to get in for deceleration you're looking to have like a flex knee or a bent knee you're looking to be kind of like in a, a around a sitting height so your your hips almost in line with your knee um you don't want to have be leaning back or have a straight trunk you're kind of leaned over a little bit that's kind of like your ideal position and again ideally the, the limb that's in front you know your ankle your knee and your hip is all pointing in one direction it's you know safe you know we, we see in, in female sports or women obviously acls are of high incidence and it's typically because they don't really have the mechanics or the or kind of the proprioception or your body doesn't really understand how to get into that position. And it's typically because, you know, in my experience, it's because they have, it's not that they haven't been exposed to it because of course, if you've been playing like GA or you've been playing rugby all your life, of course, you know how to slow down, but there's not that conscious subconscious sort of understanding of what position should they get into. It's just an, a natural thing that they've been doing. They haven't really, you know, been taught how to do it correctly. So yeah. that's a big thing that you, that, people need to go after like your, your, your landing mechanics, um, and your deceleration change of direction, agility kind of work. They're, they're big things that I would go after when I'm, I'm coaching women in particular. Brilliant. Yeah. Super. And would, would it be fair to say that a lot of this participation in sport would stem from, in my opinion as well, PE, would you agree with that? Um, with regard to like the, the, I guess the levels of participation do you mean or yeah to, I suppose to give the question a bit more context <laughs> in my experience of growing up when it comes when it comes to PE as such I went to a mixed school and mm-hmm. now when I moved to Ireland back in 2004 I think it was the last year and a half that I was in my primary school I noticed that all students had to participate in PE unless you were sick then I went to an all boys school. So obviously there was no girl, there were no girls present um, for me to see that they didn't participate in PE or maybe they did. But then when you go to college, then I went to college to do a sports science degree. All the girls in the in my year, in my course, were of course interested in sports. So they wanted to participate. Even to chatting to the likes of my sister-in-law, there's a high number from what I can tell, there's a higher number of women who are girls that don't want to participate in PE because of, as you said earlier on, uh, just this whole kind of conforming to a social norm and not ladylike enough, or even being conscious of what maybe the men or the boys might be thinking of them. And even the girls might be thinking of them, et cetera, et cetera. 
the question being, um, do you feel like from a grassroots level, PE can also have a big influence towards participation in sport? Yeah, no, definitely. I think like PE needs to be that sort of positive environment for, for girls. Um, again, I, I know I said like around the ages of, of 11, 12, there's obviously a few things happening. A lot of girls will kind of be in and around that puberty age. They might be hitting their, their PHV, pecal velocity, so they might be taking a growth spurt, their body's changing, all this kind of thing. So that on top of the, you know, the societal pressure to be feminine, so we know at, at the age of 11 that that's when girls start to become aware of it, that they hadn't before. They've kind of, they've started to become aware of what society expects them to look like, to act like, to sound like. Mm-hmm. The combination of those two things at the age of 11, like it's a very tough thing to have to go through. And 11 or 12 is when they go up to secondary school as well. So look, I think it's a very important time, that kind of 11, 12, 13 age group. Fortunately or unfortunately, so is the 16 age group where we also see a huge dropout in sport. My big thing, obviously, like between 12 and 17 is where girls are sort of that that high risk of dropout, which is secondary school age for those who are are going to school in Ireland. So Mm. that environment needs to be positive, that PE environment. I'm not a teacher, can't really speak to to what it's like. And I know it's very difficult at the moment as well. But like the the, the talks of bringing in P as, a, as an examiner subject, I think will help. Um, how mm. that's structured, I don't know. I haven't really looked too much into it. But we, we have the information at the moment of what sports people are more likely to participate in over their lifetime, what sports are, you know, very popular here in Ireland, what sports are growing with female participation in Ireland and I think you know that's that's great information to have but you know the the top three sports in Ireland are GAA soccer I think and, and rugby and unfortunately girls rugby isn't it's it's not established in schools you know there's there's a few things that I'd love to to fill there obviously I'm not a teacher and there's there's work there is work being done and I can speak to the work being done because I coach in a school look it can, it can only improve and I think as as we begin to use more of the information that we have um, it'll be great but you know the likes of swimming and athletics and that kind of thing like we know that they have a I guess a, a higher retention rate over a person's lifetime if they're involved in swimming or if they're involved in athletics they're more likely to be lifelong engagers in that sport so I think encouraging them as well at a school age will, will help but look it's it's a tough thing and it's not just girls obviously around kind of 11, 11 or 12 years old obviously boys are the exact same thing and you know, they they also become aware of the the pressure from society to act a certain way, to be a certain way, and that of course knocks onto the girls and vice versa. It's just a bit of an awkward sort of uh, time for everybody. But got good people involved in underage sport at the moment, and it can it can only improve. That was absolutely super as far as the information you provided. I'm sure that'll come in helpful to a lot of people who hopefully will be listening to this podcast. But just to f- to wrap things up, then. A- we, uh, we have a couple of questioners from uh, a couple of listeners. The um, the first question is from a listener, and I'm going to ask you to put your doctor hat on with this. Um, <laughs> how to, so this particular listener is asking how to train with muscles that have had a long-term repetitive strain, or sorry, long-term repetitive strain injuries, and how to build and, st- build and strengthen those muscles without overdoing it. What would be your recommendation there from your experience? 
first and foremost, if you haven't spoke to a physiotherapist or a physical therapist, great idea to go see them, have them, you know, assess it, have it screened, have a look at it. Again, w- without knowing too much about, you know, how the injury occurred or, or if it's to a muscle, a joint, a bone, whatever it might be, we'll just, I guess, talk through the stages. So the first is what you're looking to get, obviously, is the same range of motion and that range of motion with without pain. So say, for example, you've, you know, torn a ligament in your ankle or something. Say you've injured your right ankle. Can you move your right ankle as well and as far as your left ankle? And can you do that without pain? Without pain is the major thing. If you can't do it without pain, you've got to get to a place where you can move without pain. Otherwise, there's no point going on to the next stage. So if you've gotten that range back, if you're comfortable moving it in all those those uh, positions, then the next thing you'd be sort of looking at is the strength of the muscles surrounding it. So I'll talk about the ankle again because I know the ankle well. Sure, yeah, uh, go ahead. You'd be looking at... <laughs> <laughs> you'd be looking at you know the the strength of your calf the endurance in, in your calf is it equal to the other side so you don't want to have a an, an asymmetry you want them to have an equal level of power of, of strength of endurance on both of your legs if you've built that back up and you're, and you're happy that the the strength on both sides is equal but you're still kind of getting this like repetitive strain injury or whatever it is i would then primarily have a look at the position that you're doing a certain exercise in so you know say for example you know a sore wrist on your right hand side you know we may have a look at you doing a bench press or something and we notice that your your right right wrist isn't locked out the pressure is actually making your wrist extend you have no power on your right side compared to your left side that's in a locked position in a strong position you know is there a particular exercise or movement that's causing the pain do you feel it after you bench press or does your your back feel really sore after you go for a run are you running on pavements? You know, would it be better for you to run on grass? Do you have the right kind of footwear kind of stuff? But then if we found, you know, you've got good range, you've no pain, good strength, and there's nothing really happening in your, I guess, your mechanics or the, or the way you're doing an exercise, then the last thing you kind of look at is have you possibly changed your training schedule or has your your lifestyle habits changed? So I'd have a look at your sleep quality, your nutrition quality. Um, but it could be as simple as, you know, you... We're initially training for a 10K and now you've decided you want to train for the marathon and you've suddenly very quickly upped your, your mileage without, you know, incrementally moving that. So the last stage of things I would look at, has there been a big shift? Um, can we put it down to just doing too much? Maybe you're not getting your nine, 10 hours of sleep that you need. Maybe over Christmas, we just, I think everyone did. We kind of just ate whatever we like. It could be a combination of a few things there. But yeah, those are kind of the stages you go through. But again, physiotherapist or physical therapist would be a good place to start you know tell them of your history if you have a, an injury history if it's been happening to you for a while let them have a look at it and go from there so that was a very long answer no not at all no that was very informative and i'm sure the listener now and you know you know exactly who he is well i hope he'd appreciate that that was that was absolutely <laughs> super if you were welcoming contact um with people this obviously not face to face for the next little while i'm sure but how would you be welcoming contact if people wanted to get in touch with you um yeah i'm on twitter and instagram as at coach kiva those are the two main ones i use as well um or you can get me on the the rugby academy ireland website my my email and all is in there that's brilliant kiva from me at the LB Performance Podcast, I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on today. Um, I hope that was hugely informative to the listeners. Uh, female participation is something that is on the rise, as Quiva has said, but needs to be pushed a bit more. And there are definitely a lot more that uh, there definitely is a lot more that we can do to give it the spotlight that it deserves more than it already is in. Um, but for people like Quiva here who it, who are doing something about it, 
it needless to say that you're doing an absolutely fantastic job and all the information is there. You're one of the people who was doing something about it. And from me as a father, I appreciate it massively. And um, <laughs> I really wish you the best of luck going forward at all the projects they have set up. Thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate your time. No, not at all. Thanks so much for having me. And that concludes episode two. Thank you so much for listening if you've come this far. If you do enjoy what you're hearing, do consider giving us a follow on all your podcast apps, which we are now officially on as of this episode. Next week's episode will be my first solo one. So like that, if you'd like to get in touch about any ideas or anything that you'd like me to speak about, by all means, contact me. Ari will be giving you the contact details in the next few seconds. A massive thank you to Quiva once again for hopping on to this week's episode, and I hope you guys took as much away as I did. Until then, guys, here's Ari with my contact details, and I'll chat to you guys next week. If you want to talk to my daddy, go and email and Instagram. His Instagram is lbbeformance and his email is coach at lbbeformance.ie See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.